Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us. I have a returning guest. I'm so excited. My guest today is Peter Bedard. He is the creator of Convergence Healing. He's an author of two books. He's an inter- Get ready now, folks. He's an international speaker. He's a therapist who uses his background in science and religion with a degree in consciousness studies. He's a teacher, and he's a hypnotherapist. I, I bet he's a really good cook, too, but I don't know that yet for sure. Welcome back to the show, Peter. <laughs> it's nice to have you. <laughs> I am so happy to hear you. That's awesome. Thank you for connecting That's, with me. You know, this is this is really terrific because we have um, done this quite some time ago, and you've you've added on since we spoke last, but there might be yeah. some people listening that perhaps didn't hear that that first show. So I thought you could, you know, I kind of did a little promo about who you are, but let's let's have you just tell us a little bit more about yourself. <laughs> well, you know, outside of all my 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 therapy work or my writing and speaking and all that type of stuff, one thing that I do love to do in the world is understand sustainability and food forest and work out in my garden and all that type of stuff. Those are those are my sacred places. Wow, I didn't know that about you. So, what what do you grow? Uh, well, I'm not so good at growing, <laughs> but I oh, love okay. the concept. I, I I'm a little geek. I could geek out about reading about sustainability, and I do have my garden. I love my garden. I have tomatoes and onions and garlic in there right now. Okay. Um, I have some basil and stuff of that sort. Uh, but food forests are, are sort of something that I really like to geek out about. I'd love to buy some land one day and figure out how oh, to do neat. a food forest. It's an ancient practice that you could you can create in a food forest uh, 10,000 times more profit and vegetation than a tilled farm in one acre of no land. No kidding. Wow, that's yeah, pretty cool. I, I'm not, yeah. That is amazing. Maybe that'll be our. Mm-hmm. That, maybe that's what we'll talk about next year. <laughs> but today we're going. But today, that's funny. But today we're going to stick to this convergence, convergence healing, which you are the creator of. So, for those people that are unfamiliar with that, why don't you tell our listeners what what is convergence healing? Well, convergence healing was a po- process that sort of was downloaded to me. It sort of came to me intuitively over a period of time in having to heal myself. And uh, many years ago, I had a severe accident, and I had to heal myself in the world. And I started to understand that healing is more than just going to the doctors. And so convergence healing really evolved uh, personally in my life, and then I took the practice of it started applying it with my clients, and then that turned into a book and my speaking work and all of the other type of stuff. 
Right. That well, you know, and I, I, how did you come up with the word convergence? Because that's not a commonly used word. It's not. It actually came to me. I so part of my work in healing myself was to understand that all wounds have a physical side to them, have a mental side to them, and have a spiritual or heart-based side to them. And I like to, so people understand it, I like to give the example of one of my professional football players, right? They come into me, they are working with me, and they have a busted-up knee. So that's the physical side of the wound. On the mental side, there's a panic. There's a fear, a worry. Mm. How am I going to play again? Am I going to be able to play again? What's going to happen with the team? What's going to happen with my contract? I just bought a $14 million house. How am I going to pay for that? That's that mental anguish that's the side of the wound, and it's caused by the wound itself. Then there's the spiritual side of that. And, you know, these guys have a passion for what they do. They love what they do. They have been playing since they were sometimes eight years old, right? Mm-hmm. And their hearts are breaking. And so to learn that, you know, there's a wound and that wound may have started on the physical side. It could start on any side. That wound started mm-hmm. on the physical side in the example I'm giving, but there's a mental side to it and a spiritual heart-based side to it. And we must heal on all of those levels. And that's one of the facets of this idea of this coming together, that we need to treat the wound physically. We need to treat it mentally and we need to treat it spiritually. And that's the convergence. And and I think that that's, and that makes everything in alignment, doesn't it? It does. And when we don't treat one side, and when we only go one-sided on these things, another example I like to use is weight loss, right? People mm-hmm. may only work on that diet and exercise side of weight loss, which would be that body side of the physical side of it, right? So they're dieting and exercising, dieting and exercising. And in their mind, if they still perceive themselves as the wounded kid, they perceive themselves as the one that was always picked last on the playing field when they were young, or they perceive themselves still as being fat, they're constantly telling their body that information. So they need to change how they think in order to support the physical activity. And the same on, the, on that spirit heart side. If that wound of the overweight experience, if that wound is something that supported them, protected them, uh, kept them safe, uh, protected a wound of abuse or something of that sort, then that heart side has not been healed and it's going to pull them back to putting on the weight. I mean, you, have you remember that show years ago called The Biggest Loser? Do you remember that show? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I love that show. I always watch that. <clears throat> yeah. And it was amazing. These people would lose all this weight, and they really did only diet and exercise. And they would mm-hmm. visit them in a year, and they would have put on like 400 pounds again. You know? Right. That's and unfortunate. And so that's yes. the example. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm picturing, I, I, I'm a visual person. And by the way, I should mm-hmm. just let people know that your website is fabulous. And you can just go to Convergence if you don't remember how to spell that. I'm going to spell it for you. It's C-O-N-V-E-R-G-E-N-C-E, ConvergenceHealing.com, and you will see um, Peter's website. But as a visual person, I'm visualizing a triangle. They all have the exact same dimensions. Am I wrong about that or am I right about that? You are absolutely right. And if we only work on one leg of that triangle, 
then yes. that other, the other parts of it, we're not going to fully heal. And oftentimes, right. even if we do heal a particular issue, the actual underlying causation is still there, right? And mm. like an addiction, someone may go downgraded, you know, they may heal one side of something and they'll just downgrade the addiction or cross it over into another chemical. Isn't that fascinating? How did you get, how did yeah. you get involved in the holistic health world? Well, that's kind of what I hinted at at the beginning. When I was much younger, someone killed me. So I had that experience of dying. I was driven into the, we've talked about this. I had that experience Uh of somebody killing me. They pushed my bike into the back of a semi-truck. I died. I shattered my left knee. I split my right wrist open. I lost all the nerves in my hand. I cracked five vertebrae. I had undiagnosed brain damage and many other things. I called it my cascade of pain that from that experience of having to learn how to walk again and getting fibromyalgia and arthritis and asthma, bronchitis, sciatica, hemoglobin splitting and shutting down organs, you know, white blood cells attacking red blood cells, the list goes on, things one mm-hmm. after the other, I had to heal myself. And the doctors were amazing at putting my bones back together. They did an incredible mm-hmm. job. Martha, you would love this. I know you're a sports fan. I had 14 surgeons flown in from the NFL to witness and to be there in putting my knee back together because wow. my knee injury was from the rear and most knee injuries are the front. Like my kneecap was fully intact, but underneath the kneecap, the bones were shattered in little bits. And so hmm. they did an experimental surgery on me and they had all these surgeons come in and they were amazing at that. But they had, they never checked my brain. I hit, I was literally was slammed into the back of a parked semi truck. Imagine like hitting a wall at 25 miles an hour. (laughs) No one bothered to check my brain and what was going on in my brain. Right. And all the other stuff, they were just like, we don't know what to do with this fibromyalgia, right? Arthritis is just give a drug. Right. And so that's when I started to understand, wait, there's more going on than this initial experience. And again, mm-hmm. that's part of that convergence. It's part of that understanding. I need to work on multiple levels. And it's part of that creating this, what I call my recipe or my holistic recipe or my holistic cocktail <laughs> of, of different things that we do that we blend together to create that healing. That's great. Well, you, you certainly you were the right man for the right job, even though you were the patient, I'm telling you. It's amazing. And, you know, when mm-hmm. we talk about pain, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, there are so many different kinds of pain. There's the physical pain. Mm-hmm. There's the emotional pain. There's the spiritual pain. Yeah. But how yeah. how do you, uh, how does the convergence healing process address so many different levels of pain? How do you do that? So what's interesting in our brains, and this is true for everybody, you know, there's neuropathways in the brain, and that's how we think, how we understand things, right? Information moving through our brain, understanding the life around us, right? And there's not a single pathway for physical pain or a single pathway for emotional pain or a single pathway for spiritual pain. Pain in the brain is just understood as pain. And that's why we could have an experience where, say, uh, somebody has a lower back problem. Well, that Mm -hmm. lower back is a physical experience. I'm not doubting their pain at all. I understand they have that pain. They're experiencing that pain. And it may have been an emotional causation that is the primary cause. 
Maybe they, their foundation is weak. Maybe the way they were brought up, there was a crack in that foundation. Maybe there was a violation. Maybe there was a wounding or something like that on the emotional, spiritual side that it's showing up, this wound, this pain is showing up on that physical side. And so the convergence healing process is really about no matter what kind of pain, whether it's anxiety and the pain of anxiety, whether it's the pain of addiction, whether it's physical pain in itself or other type of pain, that, mm-hmm. that pain is understood as something that we want to start loving. And isn't it yes, interesting to think? Yes. How, yeah? Mm-hmm. To love your pain. To love yeah. your pain. Or, like, uh, Mike, I, I've been in this practice for almost 20 years now. And mm-hmm. my cancer clients, for a while there, I worked with lots of cancer clients. I don't know why. It was just something that happened in my practice. I had a whole bunch of clients that were dealing with some sort of cancer issue. And they they taught me in working with them that there's this part of us that we could beat up, we could make wrong, we could make bad, we could be ashamed of it, embarrassed of it. We could want to cut it out or throw it away and do all that type of stuff to it. Or we could just simply love it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about Embrace you, but it. let's say you were let's say you were one of my one of my pains. Let's say you as mm-hmm. an experience in the world, right? Oh, there's Marcia mm-hmm. again. She's a pain in my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever it is, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. or I'm, and I'm walking around with you, right? I'm walking around right. with you, Marcia. Nobody else can see you. Or maybe they see how I, you know, maybe I'm limping or, you know, I'm whatever. But they really can't see you. But I know you're there. And if I speak to you horribly and I say those horrible things to you, and I'm, I'm going to make sure you know I'm not talking to you, but how we speak to these parts of us that are suffering and we say mm-hmm. to them, I hate you and that type of language to it, right? If mm-hmm. instead I say, you know what, Marsha, you're the representation of this part of me that's hurting. You're the pain in my back. And I am so sorry you're suffering. What you yeah. need from me as my pain, you don't need to be abused by me, right? You don't need to be beaten mm-hmm. up by me. You don't need me to make you wrong or bad. or You don't need that. That's not helping Right? So what if I just said, I'm so sorry you're suffering, and I love you, and I'm just going to continue to love you? Isn't isn't that, and you know, um, that doesn't come on overnight, because I'm working on that (laughs) personally for myself and dealing with some of the life crises that I have sometimes in my life. And I and I have these conversations with myself. Would you talk to so and so the same way you're talking to yourself? Exactly. No? Exactly. It's, no, you get exactly a restraining right. order. <laughs> exactly. So you know, it's it's important that we we are our own best friends because nobody knows us better than us. And yeah. um, you know, I so uh, appreciate what you're saying. And you've written a couple of books. I have one of them my house as we speak right now and i thought we could talk about that first book um convergence healing healing pain with energetic love it's just what we were just talking about why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about that book well that book is it was a really fun book Uh, you know that book has Mm -hmm. been a little miracle in my life because Mm -hmm. i originally intended to write this book basically for my clients i just wanted to create a pdf something, a file that I could give my clients to support them when they're not working with me. And I could take Mm -hmm. them through exercises and processes and just say, look, 
I'm going to be here as your therapist. And when I cannot physically be in the world with you here, this is something that I want you to read or use as a support Mm -hmm. tool. Right. So Mm -hmm. I put this book of all a bunch of my writings together and eventually it became a full fledged book. And then I self published that book and a friend of Mm -hmm. mine had gotten a copy of it, given it to a friend of hers who then gave it to a friend of hers who was the head of Simon & Schuster at the time, and that person called me up and bought the book for me. I wasn't even looking to actually publish. I just wanted to have a little something that I could have, you know, and people could (laughs) find it online and download it, my clients, and, you know, what a gift that was to have Simon & Schuster buy my first book, you know, out the door. That's huge. And so that book was born... It was really born in my passion and wanting to help people when I'm not around. I, I love it. And it's it's really easily digestible, too, I might add. And then, it's fun, isn't it? Then you, <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it really is. And so then you, you, you publish another book. How? When did Billy and the Anxiety Monster, um, a grown-up book for your inner child, when did, that, when did you release that book? Yeah, that just came out in October. So a little bit back to the first book to give people a little more idea of the structure. It's a self-help book, and it's also the story of how I had to heal myself, how I learned this Mm -hmm. process that I came to call convergence healing, and then how I shared that with my clients, and my clients actually using the tools and the steps of this convergence healing process to heal themselves. So the book is really, it's a little bit of a biography about me, It's super Mm -hmm. practical because it gives you really easy, doable processes to go back and sort of work on your, or to absolutely work on your well-being. And it's entertaining with people's stories of how they've done it on themselves. And it's hopefully inspirational. My second book, Billy and the Anxiety Monster. uh Go ahead. Yes. Mm -hmm. Go, no, you go right ahead. I'm, I'm, uh, I haven't (laughs) read this book. So tell us about Billy. (laughs) Well, this is a super easy, easy, easy book. This is this is only 66 pages, and it's illustrated. <laughs> so That's great. This book, this was a book I wanted to write, and I wanted to basically take this process of uh, that I lay out in my Convergence Healing book. I wanted to take that process and apply it to anxiety. You know, statistically, mm-hmm. there's more than 400 million people every day on this planet going through severe anxiety issues, more than mm-hmm. 400 meal, million, right? And that's every day, right? It's, it's, it's just mind-boggling how many people nowadays, especially nowadays, are dealing with anxiety, and especially young people. So I took one of the processes from my book of loving your anxiety, of loving your pain, you could say. My first, mm-hmm. I translated to loving your anxiety, and actually becoming friends with your anxiety and figuring out how to heal with its guidance. So the whole book is called Billy and the Anxiety Monster, How to Love Your Anxiety, a grown-up book for your inner child. And I wrote it as an all-ages book. Mm-hmm. I wanted people of all ages. My inspiration was actually the movie Shrek. <laughs> uh-huh. you know, I, I don't funny. know if you've ever seen the movie. But adults love the movie and kids love the movie. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it initially as an adult book in a children's style. So it's illustrated. 
when the illustrations are wonderful and it's the Mm -hmm. process of going through Billy going through his process of healing. And at the end of the book is what I call a little cheat sheet. And that is literally the processes of, of this convergence process going through bullet by bullet, point by point and do this, do this, and then do this. And it will take you through that process. And it's a very sweet book. Billy meets his anxiety monster and they transform the relationship from one of anger and fear to one of love and support. And it's a book that people are reading as adults. I've tested it mm-hmm. with, at the Boys and Girls Club locally. The kids love it. Nice. You know, it, it's, so, it's so fun. And it's facilitating conversations around anxiety and what to do about it. So it's just been a big gift to me. You know, it's interesting about the term anxiety. Um, I had a woman that that um, was speaking about anxiety, and I honestly didn't know until I spoke with her what that actual definition meant because I thought, oh, you're just mm-hmm. anxious, you're kind of nervous. That's not the definition mm-hmm. of anxiety, is it? Right. It's not. What is, how, what is your new understanding? What do you understand? Anxiety equals fear yeah that's what she said would you agree that would you support that that's what anxiety is anxiety is fear absolutely i think the root of all anxiety the root of it Mm -hmm. it may not show up in that person's life immediately but when you dig underneath it it's really a lack of trust it's a lack of faith it's an experience of fear it's an it's a not being safe in the world and Mm -hmm. then that experience is brought into the many aspects of our life, right? And it's hard right. for some people, you know, right now, if, if people have gone through abuse, if they've gone through some sort of traumas, it's hard to feel safe, right? So yes. that lack of being safe. And so Billy learns how to be safe in his body. He learns how to work with this part of him that's actually trying to help. I think all pain, and this is my understanding, it's been in my life and with my practice, I really believe that all pain has a positive intention. Hmm. It's trying to do something beneficial for us. Anxiety is saying to you, it's saying to us or whoever it is that's experienced, it's saying, this place feels dangerous, get out. And if you don't get out, I'm going to give you a panic attack so you're forced to get out. (laughs) And when we can sit with it and learn why it's trying to protect us, then often the anxiety can just simply go away. It's, it's so important. And, you know, with, you know, I mean, we're, we're not in that same pandemic mode that we were a couple of years ago where we were all so very isolated. That was a pretty mm. scary time. But when, you, when you're helping to heal addiction, anxiety, and pain as a big part of your work, you have a unique voice in that healing world and I'd like to hear I'd like you to talk more about that sure well especially around addiction I tend to I don't demonize addiction a lot of people and the way uh, uh, it's treated often is uh, well let's just say this when I'm working with my clients I don't require them to be sober I require them to be sober while I see them like, I, I certainly mm-hmm. can't work with them if they're high, 
right? There's mm-hmm. uh, there's no use talking to someone while they're drunk or no use talking to somebody while they're high on some drug or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't look at addiction as being this awful, horrible thing. In fact, I think the archetype, I'm speaking maybe a little, um, you know, a way people may not understand. So archetypes are characters that can drive us or their personality traits, we could say. An archetype, there's the archetype of the queen. There's the archetype of the king. There's the archetype of the jester or the fool. There's the archetype of the judge or the scholar. There, people tend to have these. Everybody's heard that there's a child archetype. Every one of us has a child inside of ourselves still, and no matter mm-hmm. age, what age we are, right? Everybody has a mm-hmm. prostitute archetype. There's a willingness to sell ourselves to get something that we want, right? So mm-hmm. there's an archetype of an addict, and addicts are the most amazing. So if there's anybody struggling with addiction as they're listening here, um, and they're feeling upset or, or separate or any of those things, the archetype addict will do anything to get what it wants. And our goal in working with that archetype, with that personality or that experience of addiction, you know, it's a beautiful thing. You know, they can change the world or they can destroy the world. And we want to move that archetype from a place of negativity, of judgment, of waste, of, of intolerance or abuse. We want to move it from that dark side over into the light side. And that shadow side, the archetype in itself as an addict, an addict will go, let's say it's a smoker. There is, there's mm-hmm. a story of a friend of mine, of somebody I knew who literally watched, walked seven, six miles in a blizzard in order to get their cigarettes. Wow. Not a very intelligent, bright thing to do <laughs> in a blizzard no. to walk in a blizzard, right? But that's the power of the addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Now, imagine if that power, if that drive to do something, if that drive to create, if that drive to get something was actually adapted. What if it was brought into the light or the positive side? And that's somebody that won't stop until they get social justice or won't stop until they have women's rights, or won't stop until, you know, they clean up the environment or do something like that, right? That Mm -hmm, archetype mm -hmm. is such a powerful archetype. And so if anybody's listening and struggling with addiction, yes, you have to transfer that, that experience, that drive, you know, the drive to get the drugs, to take that and harness it and turn it into a drive to change the world for the better, right? And to really own that instead of being embarrassed by it or ashamed of it to say, you know what, this is who I am. This is part of my chemical makeup. It's part of the personality that I'm in the world. I could use this for good or I could use this for bad, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. How do I want to use this? And to channel that energy is just amazing. I mean, wow, what those people can do. You know, I look at personalities in our history and you know, I, I think Mother Teresa is a, is a, mm-hmm. has an addict of an archetype of an archetype of an addict. I don't think she ever had any like, chemical kind of thing in her own personal life. Maybe she did. I don't know. Right. But she she literally there's a story of her sitting at a a faucet that was dripping, and that's as much as water would come out, just one little drop at a time. And she apparently sat there for something like eight hours or 10 hours or something like that to get one single glass of water. Wow. 
that type of person that is so driven to do mm-hmm. that, right? So focused to do that. That's that archetype. And so to embrace it, there's good in everything. You know, what came out of somebody killing me was that I get to be on this phone with you. I get to have this conversation mm-hmm. with you. I get to publish my books and sit down with people, right? I went through a tremendous experience of pain, having to heal myself. And now I get to be with other people and hold their hands. And I am so grateful. Right. I would never change that experience in my life. Right? That's, you have such a positive persona. And I've heard you say that beneath every anxiety is a trauma that lies like a ghost waiting to find its way back home. What do you mean by that? Share a little bit more about yeah. that. So uh, these experiences haunt us. They could be abuse experiences or trauma experiences, PTSD type of things. These mm-hmm. experiences that, in let's say somebody who maybe even doesn't have a, a diagnosed trauma or something like that, but let's say there's something that happened when you were five years old that when that comes up, you're still angry about it, right? I can think of a couple things in my life, and I've worked really hard to get through them. (laughs) But I can still Uh think of a few things that I'm still angry about, that I still need to do more work on myself. So when that situation comes up, that person, that experience or whatever, I, I can feel like what happened when I was five years old is happening right now. And that's the ghost, right? If I'm still sad or upset or angry about something that's not happening in this moment, right? Say a past relationship. If I'm Mm -hmm. still upset or angry about that, that's a ghost. It's not happening right now. It's something from a time, long time ago in my life or in history. And so we have to recognize that these experiences, our brain, you know, memory is an interesting thing in the human brain. Memory, Mm -hmm. we tend to look at memory as something from the past. But when the brain is actually having a memory, it's actually replaying that experience. That's why somebody in an anxiety experience, like they're reminded of uh, they were bitten by a dog and then there's a dog uh, behind a fence that's barking at them. And all of a sudden, that trauma from their past that was not healed, they're now feeling all of it. Even if somebody just play barked at them, let's say there's not even a dog, but somebody like wolfed at them or something like that, right? <laughs> Suddenly that yeah, trauma uh-huh. is felt. It's, and it feels like that dog is right in front of them, even though there's no dog in front of them. And that trauma is very present in their life, and, but it's not real. It's like a ghost. Is that making sense? That's, it's like a ghost that it, needs it to be taught sense. to find uh-huh. its way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and you know, and we can all apply trauma in so many different ways within our lives. Certainly, I, I can relate to my husband, who just suddenly mm-hmm. died at the Staples Center. I mean, right. talk about a trauma! Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Wait a minute! Didn't we just go out for breakfast and aren't we just here watching basketball? That was pretty. Yeah. That was pretty shocking. Um, and mm-hmm. and, Very. and traumatic, and you know, even though it was. It's going to almost 15 years ago now. Uh, I certainly can recall the events that led up to that and the events that mm-hmm. happened after that. And um, yes. I think I've healed that trauma for myself. I don't think it was an easy thing to do. But I yeah. think that if you, you're not going to ever heal t- 
trauma if you don't have a willingness. Would you agree? Absolutely, yes. You have to be willing to let that go. Yeah, you have to be willing to work through it. And in an interesting situation, you know, when it comes with the loss of a loved one, sometimes people feel that, well, if I heal, then I won't be around that person anymore. I won't feel their presence anymore. Oh. Mm. Right? So they want to hold on to the trauma. They want to hold on to the pain because that's how they feel close to the person. I once met a man when I was teaching in Turkey. So I was doing some keynote speaking and some workshops in Turkey. And there was a man whose son had had lost his son in a war. And the man would not let go of he could not face the fact that his son was no longer there. And he was Mm -hmm. so angry and so traumatized by his son's death. And that anger was just everywhere. It was in everything he did. And he was basically abusing himself and everyone around him. And for him, he felt that if he stopped being angry, that he would forget about his son. Hmm. Interesting. He had to really work on it. He had to change that paradigm, didn't he? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely he did. Yeah. And would his son want to be remembered in this way? Go ahead. Right, exactly. Now that that's I don't want to gloss over that. That's really important. You it know, is. um it, it it that's an important concept. And and speaking of concepts, I'm going to kind of step over to the right for just a minute and say um I know that somewhere you wrote that once an addict always is an addict is a lie. And I'd like to know what you mean by that. So There's this idea, especially, so I love AA, and I have some Mm -hmm. bones to pick with AA, let's say. (laughs) I have have a couple issues with AA, let's say, right? There's an idea in, in the world that once you are something, you will always be that thing. So there's nowhere for uh, growth. There's nowhere for change. There's nowhere for advancement. Once you are that, you will always be that. Right. So once Mm -hmm. you're an addict, you're always going to be an addict. You're always going to have to be careful. You're always going to have to watch out. You're always going to be susceptible to drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that that can't be true for some people. What I am Mm -hmm. saying is this idea that we would put ourselves in. Right. We we get frozen in time sometimes and we say, Mm -hmm. well, this happened to me and I will always be defined by that. You know, I had this experience where somebody killed me and I was a victim to that person, but I do not walk around in a victim in my life anymore. So yeah. there's this plasticity to the brain. And what I mean by plasticity is moldability. What I mean by that mm. experience and what we know in, in brain science, in neuroscience, what we know is that the brain is highly adaptable, highly adjustable. And let's say... Uh, you know, I'm going to take beyond addiction. I'm going to go to cancer again. There's this concept in the medical world that we are, when somebody is cleared from having cancer and they are called a survivor. Well, if you're a survivor, what you're saying is, oh, so I've had cancer and there's always the potential for me to have cancer because I have to have something to survive from. So if I'm a survivor, then there always is the potential that I can get sick again. And that's a real problem 
because how we think and how we feel in the world creates the reality that we live in. So if we're always in that survivor uh, mentality, there's always the potential for that person to get sick again. And I want to blow that out of the water. You are not a survivor. You are a thriver. If I'm thriving, then I don't have to go back to that experience. And the brain is in a loop. Like all of our brains are always in a loop. I could say to you, don't think about pink elephants. And the first thing you're going to do is think about a pink elephant. Think about pink wherever, elephants, yeah, right? exactly. It's funny, right? You know, there's maybe a pink elephant dancing on the table in front of you or something, right? Whatever you're doing, if I tell you not to think something, you're going to think it. Then you have to tell your brain, oh, I don't want to think that. And what we have to do is say, oh, well, I don't want to think about pink elephants. I don't want that to have power over me anymore. So I'm going to think I'm now going to be in consciousness. I'm recognizing I'm not going to tell myself to keep not thinking it because then I'm just going to keep thinking it more. I'm going to step out of that loop. I'm going to step out of that paradigm. I'm going to step out of being a survivor, and I'm going to actually go and think about purple zebras. You know, it's so funny because what comes to my mind as you're describing this is the value in words and what mm, words mm-hmm. mean and how we Absolutely, and I know you were words. doing that favorite word. I love that. Yeah, word of the day. I've been, yeah, mm-hmm. I've been, yeah, I've been, I've been doing this for seven years. But I would mm-hmm. just say that, you know, words really do matter. And what we say to ourselves is, is vitally important and how we interpret mm-hmm. those words to ourselves. I mean, I think that's why a yoga practice is so helpful because it helps us to do some breathing and to just calm down. And sometimes, you know, sometimes, Peter, I, I literally say to myself, Marsha, slow down. Why mm-hmm. are you trying to do five things at the same time? Did you do any of them well? Could you just <laughs> not think that multitasking is something that you don't need to do you yeah. can you if if you need to make a list make a list and check it twice just like santa claus yep. and yeah. and just move through the list and if something gets added to the list that's fine you know, I, we all have our own techniques i i'm a, i'm an avid walker i walk over three miles every day and sometimes mm-hmm. something will just come into my mind while i'm walking and I'll think to myself, I'm not going to remember this. So what do I do? I get out my phone, and I send myself a text message. And I'll read Perfect. it when I get home. And it's mm-hmm. just my way. It's just one of my skill sets in trying to try to remember all these different things. You know, anxiety can play a part of that as well. You know, what are you, oh, you're afraid you're not going to remember it. Well, hey, here's a tool. So, you know, mm-hmm. when we, when you talked about... Um, about this lie and about our brains, how does anxiety play into all of this? How, how, how does anxiety really affect us? Well, anxiety in itself is a lie. You know, the words we use, the words we speak to ourselves and others, but let's say ourselves, literally affect our bodies and our brains. They have a chemical experience inside of us. If we're saying that I'm in that survivorship, that has a chemical experience inside our bodies. If we're saying I'm thriving, that has a completely different chemical experience, right? I could say mm-hmm. if I say negative things to me, I'm going to create a cascade of cortisol-like stress chemicals that are going to be in my body, wow. and those are going to create a, 
a inflammation state in my body, which is supportive of disease, right? If I right. say, that's why affirmations or words are so important. If I say mm-hmm. words of positivity, if I say words of love and kindness and compassion to myself, I'm going to create a chemical state in my body that's words of oxytocin and dopamine and all those types of things, which are happy chemicals. And they're going to create a completely different experience physically in my body, right? Anxiety is a lie that we tell ourselves that we believe, right? Hmm. It's a lie that we, that I am not, I can't go out into the world because if I go out into the world, I feel anxious and, and, and people are looking at me and people are commenting about me and that's a problem and they're saying things that are bad about me or less than or I don't feel good or whatever it is. Those are all lies. You don't know what people are thinking. You don't even know if people are even aware of you even being in the space with you. They may be somebody, something completely in another complete awareness, right? Mm -hmm. You have no idea. But we tell ourselves stories that create a sense of anxiety in us getting on a plane, right? We tell ourselves, oh, it's going to be really scary. I don't know if I can do this. It's really hard. Getting on that plane is so difficult. I'm going to be stuck up in the air. I'm going to be stuck, right? We say things like, I'm stuck. I'm in this cabin the doors are going to close what am I going to do and then we tell stories to ourselves about what if this happens or what if that happens and we're telling these stories the power of words and we're creating an anxious state and none of those stories are true none of those stories are in the moment none of those stories are in the present none of those stories are right here and now they're all projections of fear from our past influencing our present you know, I you I I love it when you say um, that um, we need to be, befriend your pain and love it. And I'd like you to really say more about that when you say that. What do you mean when you say befriend your pain and love it? Well, like I said before, where I I really think that these parts of us that are suffering, they need mm-hmm. to be loved. And when they're mm-hmm. loved, then they can heal. But if you just keep beating it up, it's not. it may heal a little bit, and then the wound is just ripped open again because you just beat it up again. Right? right. And so to actually love these parts of us, to love all of us absolutely, unconditionally, to love the part of your body that you're judging or hiding, right? To love the part of your, of your history, your life history, that maybe you're hiding mm-hmm. from people. Right? To love that, to let go of all shame. You know, there is no need to have shame. Shame is one of our lowest emotions, if not the lowest emotion. And it is an absolute waste of time. Right? When we can love these parts of us absolutely and unconditionally, then that real deep healing that happens on all levels of our being fully happens. Mm -hmm. When I... When I work with pain of any kind, so I'm going to use the word pain, you could replace it with anxiety, you could replace it with addiction, you could replace it with any other experience, whether it's mental, mm-hmm. physical, or spiritual pain. So when I work mm-hmm. with pain, I want people, and then we could do it right now. So you just said earlier that there was something you were struggling with. You don't have to tell us, you don't have to do anything, but I want you mm-hmm. to think about that, that, that part, that experience that's pain, and I want you mm-hmm. to give it a shape and a form. 
I want you to give it a shape, a form of some sort. So maybe it's like when I was joking with you and I said, you're my pain, right, Marsha, right? (laughs) Let's say that pain is a thunderbolt. Let's say it's a dark cloud. Let's say it's a sticky blob, whatever your pain is, Hmm. right? The The only thing it can't be is someone who is alive. It cannot be your mother or your father or it cannot be, you know, some, a friend that you know. It could be a historical figure. It could be a younger version of you that's in pain, whatever it is. Could it be so physical? To say that, uh, could it sure, be like it could physical? be like my knee or something. Like what? Yeah, what? Well, tell me. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why you're taking me to a personal point, but I, why not? <laughs> I'm not? I don't hide behind a cloud. I'm adjusting to a CPAP machine. As I mm-hmm. was diagnosed with sleep apnea, this has mm-hmm. been a painful experience in trying to work through the process of this right now. And so when you said thunderbolt, you said to picture something. Um, what, what, I, what I started to picture was like a dark cloud. However, since I know you, what if I was to say, all right, so this, is, this has been a struggle for you, Marsha, but you know what's behind a dark cloud, don't you? You do know, Marsha. <laughs> what's behind a dark cloud? Isn't there sun behind the dark, dark cloud? What if you pictured sun instead of a cloud? Sure. Is that what sure, you're you talking about? Sure, you could absolutely do that. You could absolutely do that. I would, in the beginning stages, I would want to work with that dark cloud because I don't think we're right at the sun yet. I love that you have that experience and that expectation of knowing that there is that goodness, there is that bright sun on the other side, and the pain is, is still there, still present. But I love that you actually know that there's something, that there's something on the other side of it. That's fantastic, right? And when the pain shows up, does it show up as a bright, sunny day, or does it show up as a, a big, dark, heavy cloud? <laughs> <sighs> right. Well, and you know, did you hear the deep breath? So I guess you knew the answer yeah. to that. I suppose what you've helped me to recognize is that you're right. These dark clouds just don't go away because 24 hours has gone by. This is this is a work in progress, but it's helpful by having you have me visualize this. Is that the sun will come out tomorrow, just like that song? And yeah, yeah. and if I think about it that way, and music isn't. I mean, I hear music in my head. In the middle of the night, I hear music in my head all the time, and I wonder if perhaps one of the songs I should start playing in my head, especially when I'm trying to sleep and I'm not sleeping, is the sun will come out tomorrow, and to take those shoulders that are not earrings and bring them back down where they belong, right? Yes, exactly. Now, what we want to make sure that you're doing is you're not bypassing the pain and you're still working with it. You're not sort okay. of forcing what we call, we call a spiritual bypass in my work, right? You're not okay. um, shoving it down and, 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 you know, forcing it, just smile or something like that, right? There can be a right. value to that. But when we're working with the experience itself, we want to be fully present with it. So... I would first say, yes, there's this dark cloud. Now, I want you to give it a name, whatever name it is. And, again, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. But there's this dark cloud that's the metaphor, the symbol of your pain. What that does in the brain, and you were able to take that deep breath, 
is that is that 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 does for the brain it gives the brain the ability to identify instead of being overwhelmed pain mm-hmm. and that just shuts mm-hmm. us down so instead of being shut down by the pain now oh bob just walked in the world the room bob the blob that sticky whatever it is <laughs> that dark cloud whatever right. bob just walked into the room now i have something i could relate to right and then i would want you to actually so if you want to do this while we're on on air or oh, if no, your listeners okay. want to do it, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to but, share but, any of know, it. But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think it's what I think what I'm I'm gathering important information from you, and mm-hmm. I recognize that this isn't a problem that I'm required to solve on my own. There are no. people that work in this field that is on my to-do list that I need to speak to about some of this. And mm-hmm. and I think it's kind of cool. I like the idea to give it a name. Um, I, I'm going to think about that some more when we get off the air about, you know, okay, you know, whatever that name is, go away, so and so. You're bugging me right now. I don't need your help. This is not helpful. <laughs> and and challenge it mm-hmm. to step aside. And I think that that's mm-hmm. that's that's really that's really helpful. I think. And I think that's why you do what you do. Clearly, you love what yeah. you do. And how. How do you use how do you use your hypnotherapy or spiritual concepts and other tools to help heal people? I mean, I feel like we were sure. just doing that together. We were. We just were. So just to continue with very briefly, and I don't want you to have to reveal so much personal information, and at the same time as an example, to be able to say, okay, now you have Bob the Blob, and you're having this mm-hmm. physical experience of not being able to breathe at night, I wonder if there's a mental something on that mental thinking stage that is happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's, you know, in the dark of night, in the quiet of the night, is often when a lot of anxiety comes up for people, a lot of fears, a right. lot of judgments, right? The stuff that we shove down during the day comes up, and maybe there's something that's making you mentally hold your breath. Maybe you feel like you're being choked off. Maybe you feel like there's something that's suffocating you. So now to go to that mental side of it and say, oh, I wonder what that could be. That if, is, there, is there anything on that way of my thinking that I feel suffocated by? Because that could be causing my not physically breathing. And even on the heart side, so if we, we know the physical side of the not breathing. We know the mental side mm-hmm. potentially. If there's something that is in our brains like pushing us down. And I wonder if there's something on that heart side. I wonder if there's something that should have been spoken or wanted you wanted to say but you were never able to say. I wonder if there's a trauma from your past in which you felt like someone literally took your breath away in a negative way. Uh, that's interesting. I'd have to give that some Or you lost your thought. voice. Mm-hmm. No, so hey, again, I don't want you necessarily <laughs> to have to do this no, publicly. I understand. Yeah. No, right? I understand. But there's but, a spiritual is... side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and I'm I'm hoping that as our listeners are are paying attention to this, that they're also adapting what you're saying to perhaps something that that they may be dealing with. Maybe it's a family exactly. member that's 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 having an issue. We don't know, you know. We don't. We only know mm-hmm. what we know. And you mm-hmm. know, I know that, um, 
you know, you had quite the experience, Peter. I mean, you did, and you healed yourself um, on so many levels, and, and you speak from that personal experience because quite a number of those things that those Western doctors were talking about couldn't really be cured, could they? No, no. And it's the same yeah. with maybe your breathing thing or someone else's thing, right? Okay, we have a solution uh-huh. that could help you through it, right? And so we're going to give you this machine, and it's going to help you breathe. Great. And I wonder what part of you just doesn't want to breathe, <laughs> right? Or I wonder what part of you of myself that is holding on to a physical pain doesn't want to let it go or feels that that's part of my identity, Right. Sometimes we have experiences in life and we are so familiar with them. We've had them for so long that it's how we know mm-hmm. how to be in the world. If I take that away, who am I? Yeah. Right? To ask it's that interesting. Question. It's interesting because, frankly, in the case of sleep apnea, unless you're mm-hmm. sleeping with a partner that says, you know, you've been snoring all night. Or you keep, Mm -hmm. I hear you, like, catch your breath in the middle of the night, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be an identification. In in my case, with my husband being gone for nearly 15 years, I have no Mm -hmm. idea if I'm snoring. I have no idea if I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sleeping with my mouth open. And it wasn't until I took a sleep study that they said, Mm -hmm. you're not getting enough oxygen to your brain. And sleep apnea Mm -hmm. is a diagnosable condition. And um, yeah. frankly, you know, this is a step aside now, but I actually think that it was absolutely a contributory to my husband's passing. We didn't know about mm. sleep apnea 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. He was a big snorer. I, I didn't, I, that mm-hmm. never would have occurred to me that that could be something that would stop his heart, you know. So, yeah. you know, you just, you don't know what you don't know. He would always say it is what it is. I always say you don't know what you don't know. And that's why mm-hmm. doing these podcasts every week is so, I mean, I've got to get something out of this too. You know, I want my, exactly. obviously I want my <laughs> listeners to get something out of this. And I want my guests to have, you know, um, people be aware of what they're doing. But I need to gain some insights myself. And I feel like, you know, that's precisely what's what's happened today. And, yes, I've made it personal. And, you know, this really is, wasn't supposed to be about me. But I think that when people are listening to this, Peter, perhaps they won't say, oh, I have sleep apnea too, but they might say something else about something else. You know, my cholesterol is too high or or whatever that might be. You know, I'm afraid to drive the freeways at night. Whatever that might be, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I think that it's nice that there's some ways of dealing with those kinds of of concerns and people like yourself, you know, are, are out there willing to help. And you, you can, people can work with you whether they live uh, anywhere, right? Because you, you can work with people um, uh, regardless of oh, where yeah. they live. Oh, yeah, I've been on right? Skype. I've, I've worked online right. and on Zoom. Skype for about 16 years. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. do Zoom. I'm a little old no? school. Skype is HIPAA compliant and, uh, and okay. it's free. So it doesn't cost oh, an extra fee for people or anything like that. And because it's HIPAA compliant and double, double encrypted on both ends, I choose Skype. But I've worked with clients all over the world. I've worked with clients, you know, back in the day, because I would teach even before the pandemic, I would teach in South America or Europe. And so I would have clients in Asia or you know, different things like different places like that. And so we were all mm-hmm. online. 
And now with the pandemic having passed and, and the pandemic gave me a big gift. I mean, it gave me that gift yeah. of mobility. I now, I don't even have an office anymore. And I only do work with people online and on Skype. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, I, you know, when we, when we finish this call together, Peter, um, I'm mm-hmm. actually going to call you back. I'm just going to say this right now because I want to get, I want to, I want to make sure I have that Skype listed in the in my blog when when um when people are listening going shoot i want to be able to do this i don't know how to do skype i'll make sure that that's something that people can easily access on my blog all right sure skype is an interesting thing it's like having another phone so instead of like zoom is all based on a link skype is just calling somebody from an app so all i do is you know dial up somebody basically and uh-huh. and uh, we have a, a conversation. So there's no other people on the conversation. There's no link floating out there. It's oh, like okay. if I wanted to dial somebody on my phone, I would call you, and I could actually conference somebody in, but I do it through Skype. It's free, and it's global. And, again, it's double encrypted, so it's super private. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Skype is yeah. an app. That's what I've understood you to say. Yeah, yeah. You could run it off your computer. Oh. You could run it off your phone. Oh, anything okay. like that. Uh, it's okay. WhatsApp is very similar to Skype. It's also double encrypted uh, on okay. on that end, right. so it's very private. Terrific. Mm-hmm. I I've never Skyped before, so I'll make sure I have that um, very um, well described um, in my blog. And in these last few minutes, um, do, do you have anything exciting coming up in the future for you? What's up next for you? I have a whole bunch of stuff. So I've been <laughs> booking speaking engagements uh, around, uh, mostly around California and Arizona, mm-hmm. but I've been speaking, mm-hmm. booking speaking engagements. So I have, I just came back from Yuma, Arizona. I was in Yucca Valley previously. I'm going to be up in San Jose in, in March. I'm going to be out in Riverside County, uh, let's see, in August. I'm uh, I'm hopefully going to be booking up a bunch of different places. I'm working with um, a couple of women's clubs, some uh, boys and girls clubs and stuff like that. Yes, it's it's been very yeah. fun to get the books out there and just to talk to people and give people these tools. That's my big thing is really to mm-hmm. give people tools so they can work on their own healing and, and heal themselves. I think that's, I think that's tremendous. And, um, particularly if, you know, we're living in different times right now. And and that's not to say that, you know, 10 years ago things were, were just perfect, but nothing's ever going to be perfect. But I think the fact that, you, that you're that you working with the Boys and Girls Club, I, I really have a lot of respect for that. Um, as a Rotarian, we work with um, the Boys and Girls Club out here as well. And... Um, you know, I think that it's important because, you know, children are having anxiety too. It's not just it's not just something that adults have. Would you agree? Absolutely. And that's, again, why I wrote Billy and the Anxiety Monster because right. I wanted it to be an all-ages book that parents mm-hmm. could adapt to or identify with and so could kids. So the youngest Absolutely. I read it, to read it to was nine-year-old. And oh, wow. and they totally got it. <laughs> mm. so oh, that's great! It, it, it was, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I once again have thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with you because you are a special person, and you mm. you and, and that's you know you you bring well you well what you are is you are authentic. 
and you're genuine. And you're not out saying, how can I make more money here um, by being on this show? That isn't, that isn't, your, that isn't what leads you. It's your generosity and your kindness and your ability to help people with emotional pain. And I just want to thank you so very much for, for joining me once again. This has just been a, a wonderful one hour of conversation, Peter. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of that. And, you know, I always hold you in my prayers. I think you're an amazing person, and I love seeing all the things that you're creating. It's awesome. Oh, (laughs) thank you. That was was a kind thing for you to say to me, and that touches me deep in my heart. That was really kind. All right, everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, believe it or not, this is the end of my – this is the last show in January – there were five Mondays in January, and you know what, Peter? Every single guest that I had this month was a gentleman. I don't know that that's ever mm. happened before. It, 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 wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't said deliberately to do that, and I just think that this, is, this was very interesting. But, you know, this, this doesn't stop me. I'm certainly moving forward to, to next month, so... Um, I just wish you all the best, and um, I'll make sure that people are able to listen to this podcast and um, make sure that I can uh, include some information about Skype as well. So all the best to you in, in your next endeavors, my friend, and should you find yourself out here by, you know where I live, if you find yourself on my side of town, let's get together, all right? Well, well, maybe I should come read my book to the Rotarians. <laughs> oh, God. You can say, you, let's talk about that off the air, my friend. Listen, everybody, right. have, a wonderful, have, a, have a wonderful rest of this week, everybody, and thank you all so much for listening. This has been just a pleasure. I'm going to say goodbye for now, Peter. Thanks a bunch. Love Bye-bye. Bye. Love you too, buddy. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.